usually at this time of year, I'm with my Greek-speaking boyfriend, drinking Greek spirits, on our yearly pilgrimage to a Greek island. Yet, it took a chat with my guest today to understand that Greek spirit is not only about what's in your glass, it's so much more. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we're inspired to live life one cocktail at a time by everyone in this industry. Johnny Lovanos, founder of Stray Dog Wild Gin, was born into the restaurant industry. His grandfather emigrated from the island of Lesbos and opened some of New York's most iconic Greek restaurants. Today, we find out if Johnny followed in his family's footsteps before launching one of the first purely Greek gins on the market. We talk a lot about different Greek spirits on this episode, so if you want to know your mystica from your tsiporo, please head to lushlifemanual.com where you'll find a whole post explaining all of them. Now, back to Johnny. It's so great to have you on my show. I'm so excited, Johnny. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Susan. Happy to be here. Now, I kind of always start where I always start. And I would love to know about your upbringing and education and all that stuff. Cool. Yeah. So I grew up in a very unique situation. Um, my family's in the restaurant business. Um, I'm a third generation Greek Italian American. And growing up in the restaurant industry is is so special because basically you always have good food around. Um, Sorry, that's not even just the beginning of the restaurant industry. That means that's growing up with an Italian-Greek family. So at home, we're cooking great food all the time. And then from a young age, starting when I was 13, I started working in our family's restaurants. Uh, City Limits Diner uh, was the first place I worked at. Um, and growing up, eating together. I wrote my college application essay about food <laughs> and family and how it all goes together. Um, and that brought me to Cornell, where I studied hotel restaurant management or with the hospitality program there. Um, after, after I graduated, I moved to California and oh, I wait, went... wait, wait, hold on, hold okay. on, hold so on. So much, so much. <laughs> yeah, so much already, already. So, um, you have the, both the Italian and the Greek. Yes. You know, rivaling, yeah. which is which? Mother, father. So my dad's, Ita- uh, my dad's Greek and my mom's Italian. My mom's, right. my mom's from Sicily, uh, and Sicily was, you know, once conquered by the Greeks at, in the way back when. So I basically just say I'm, I'm a hundred percent Mediterranean Islander. Right. And also from New York. So that island yes, as well. exactly. Yeah. I'm just an island um, guy. So you say that everything was about food, food culture, you're working in kitchens. Was, mm-hmm. And that you went to Cornell to study hospitality know, school. Yeah. yeah. Hospitality school. Was there ever a time when you thought, no, screw this. I just want to be a lawyer or I want to be a doctor or I don't want anything to do with this food culture. It's too um, much. There was a brief period, like my senior year of college, when all my friends were getting jobs in like real estate and finance, and they're telling me all their starting salaries, and I was like, "Huh? Like, what am I doing? Why?" Uh, and then that, then I realized I had like a desk job for like one summer, and I was like, "No, I need to be with people. I don't care about the money. It's not about that." So after that summer, I've decided, "Nope, I'm doing this full in." And uh, then I moved to California, where I went to the Culinary Institute of America. And I worked at a restaurant out there, Farmstead, as a line cook. Um, then I went back to the East Coast of Washington, D.C. I worked for Jose Andres at Zaytinia to do his manager training program. So, uh, yeah, there's just that one, like, 
part of my life where I was questioning it, but then I was like, no, you know what? It's way it hospitality is so fun. You get to be with people, you get to share your culture, experiences, make people happy, and that was so rewarding for me. Um, plus, now I work with my family in a family business, so like, what what else could I want? You know, I have my family around me at all times. I make people happy. You know, we, we I work with delicious things. You know, it's fun and exciting. I'm on my feet. I'm never bored. Uh, and those are things you can't really trade for anything. And there's no other industry that has that. When you were growing up uh, or about to, I guess, go back into the family business, start mm -hmm. studying to be in the family business, um, what was it? I know you just talked about a whole slew of things that mm -hmm. you love about the hospitality industry. Um, was it that you loved the cooking and the flavors and that, that kind of creativity? Was it the what you said the you know you saw your family just being with a whole bunch of people and making them happy you know what exactly do you think it was that made you go from say no to that desk job to i've got to be back in this i think it's the fact that you are creating and sharing experiences on a daily basis and every day is a new story you're telling uh, you have new people coming in and interacting with you and i think the fact that you're creating these special moments and for 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 and for the customers that are experiencing it, you're like making magic for them, right? Like you can't just you you can't go and cook a a, a huge amazing dinner every night at home with, without having someone clean your dishes, you know, watch your plate, give you a smiling service. And um, I think it, for me, it's more about the creating the experiences. Um, while I do love to cook, cooking is a great passion of mine. Um, it, that and I love creating flavors. That's kind of what pushed me into the the bar world. Um, but even in the bar world, you're creating flavors, you're being creative, but you're also creating an experience. And that actually, so my love for cooking, I think, is what and creating experiences pushed me to the beverage side of things, which has been my focus for the past, uh, for the majority of my career. I've been focusing on the beverage side because bartending is unique because you are you get to mix things, you get to use your hands and your creative side, but you have the customer in front of you. Whereas in the kitchen, you know, you're kind of in the back hidden. So you don't always get to see the smile on someone's face. And, you know, creating that happy moment for someone is the reward. Uh, that's one of the challenges of being in the kitchen is that you don't always get to see uh, the satisfaction you're giving someone. You know? Right, of course, of course, mm -hmm. you, you, unless you're a server. Yeah. Um, now, why don't you tell me, I mean, I know a little bit about the, a lot about your, all your different restaurants, but um, why don't you just give a little history of, of all the restaurants that your family has? Sure. Um, so, yeah, so the, my, the, the, my family's restaurant group started with my grandfather, um, classic American dream story. He came here when he was 18 from Greece and worked his way up in the, di in the diner industry. And then together with my father, my uncle, and my aunt, they took the restaurant business to the next level with my grandfather, and he's still very involved. Um, so we have Oceana Restaurant. That's probably our oldest restaurant in the group. Um, that's in Midtown Manhattan. It's fine dining seafood. Uh, very large wine list. They have a gin bar, oyster bar, um, right in the center, Rockefeller Center in Manhattan. Uh, then we have Molivos Restaurant, which is uh, also in Midtown Manhattan. It's one of the it's that is one of the most iconic Greek restaurants in Manhattan. Uh, it's one of the first Greek restaurants to take 
Greek cuisine and elevate it. Um, you know, Greek food has been around forever, forever especially in, in, in the United States. We have a lot of Greek immigrants. Um, but most Greek restaurants were, you know, tavernas, little cafes, casual places. Uh, and Molivos took that Greek experience but really elevated it. And to this day, it's, it has the largest all-Greek wine list in the United States. Um, maybe in the world, I don't know, but it has the largest all Greek wine list in the U.S. Um, and no one else was doing that at the time, having an only Greek wine list. Um, mm-hmm. It was unheard of, you know. Like, where, where's the French wine? Where's the California wine? We, we were like, no, only Greek. Uh, so that's they Molibos. do that there, right? Yeah. It's like, they do that there. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and, and Greek wine, you know, since Molibos is, was open, has really we've seen a huge elevation in its perception and in quality. Um, and that led us to open up Usia, which is our newest restaurant uh, in Manhattan. That is about f- four years old, three and a half years old. Uh, that's the restaurant that I I opened myself as general manager with my brother. Um, and it's more of a casual style restaurant focusing on the Greek and Mediterranean flavors. Um, and then we have two restaurants in Westchester. Uh, we have Westchester is a, a suburb outside of New York City. Um, City Limits Diner, which is actually just celebrated its 25th anniversary. Um, it's kind of one of those iconic. It's a landmark for Westchester, and it's been around for forever. Um, and it's not your typical 24-hour diner. Um, you know, my grandpa used to have 24-hour diners, but he got out of that business because he had no life, <laughs> and it was really difficult. And it's hard on your on your body and your health. Um, so City Limits Diner still does breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but we close at 11 o'clock. Uh, but we make everything in-house. So you know, while it is a diner, it's, it's, we like to call it an upscale diner. We have our own bakery. We bake our own bread. We spin our own ice cream. We're butchering all our own meat and fish. Uh, we have our fish fresh from the fish market. Um, and my grandpa used to be a fisherman before coming to this country. So he, one thing he'll never cheap on is fish. It's never, never frozen um and you know so while it is a diner it still has that high level of quality and then uh, we have the modern barn which is a mixed cuisine american style restaurant in armonk which is a small town uh in westchester so you saw growing up a lot of even though some of these didn't exist yet Mm -hmm. but um all different kinds of cooking yeah so you know, you graduated and you said you went right off to work in California. Yeah. So I, when I graduated, what, I, yeah, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say, did you, did you always want to work somewhere other than your family's restaurants before you came back? Yeah, it's definitely me because, you know, my family, my family restaurant group is a family business. And, you know, my dad, my dad worked for, um, he actually worked for Hulahan's chain before oh coming goodness. to work I haven't heard with the family. For a long time. Yeah, and um, you know my family was doing things great, but I thought you know if I want to work with my family, I need to contribute. You know, I need to bring my own experiences. So it was very important for me to gain experience elsewhere before coming to work with my family. Um, plus, I grew up and lived in New York. I went to college in New York and never been to the West Coast. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just go to California, where you know that's. This Napa Valley, I lived in, it was in Napa. It's the epicenter of, of culinary cuisine for this country. I mean, you have so many talented chefs in one tiny little town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's beautiful, and I learned about wine out there. So I definitely want to gain my own experiences to kind of carve my own path so that once I go to work with my family, I could be there as a leader who has experience from other great chefs and other restaurateurs. So I worked also, after that, I went to I worked with Jose Andres in D.C. And then in New York, I also worked for Danny Meyer, I was the bar manager at Marta for about a year and a half. And that was before opening up Lucia with my family. Now, were you 
always drawn to the bar world, really? Or was that something new that you learned along the way? It wasn't always there, but it quickly became a huge part of my life. Um, so when I was living in Napa Valley, I was still, I was fresh out of college. So I was only like 22 years old. Um, I liked wine and I liked beer. I never really enjoyed, I never, I wasn't a cocktail guy at all. I was, you know, just the only cocktails I had before that were bar college bar drinks <laughs> like vodka red bulls and jaeger bombs and jello uh, shots yeah and jello <laughs> shots yeah uh, but being in napa you're surrounded by wine so even if you don't know anything about wine hmm. like my my apartment was in the had the view of a vineyard so nice. you know even you're just surrounded by wine and wine culture and wine people that you have to love it and i at, in napa i became part of a wine club um and then I also started the home homebrew, the homebrewing beer club at the Culinary Institute of America there. And so I think my beverage journey started with beer and wine, um, more so beer actually, because I was making beer at home. I was homebrewing. Um, I just love. I was fascinated by like the science that goes into be- making a beverage, like fermentation, the history behind you know the different styles of beer. Um, so then when I moved to D.C., um, I and I worked with Jose Andres at Zaytinia. They put me through the manager training program, which was awesome. Because at that point, I was only 23 years old. I had no management experience. I was fresh out of college still. I, I, w- I only had a year of being a line cook under my belt. Besides all my family, like kid experiences I had, you know, being a busboy and cashier and stuff. Um, and that restaurant's 18. I don't know if you've ever been. It's a monster. It's you could do over a thousand people in a day there. Um, so I learned very quickly how to hustle and how to just be. A good manager and uh one year the the bar manager she got promoted and moved on to another uh, position in the company so they they promoted me to bar manager i had never bartended in my life i i just all i knew about cocktails was what i they taught me in my training manual uh and i didn't and I i just had a little bit of wine experience from living in napa so that experience forced me to really learn quickly um so I, at that point i started to study for the sommelier exam uh so I, I i took the intro course for the court of master sommeliers and then i started reading bartending books um and then my friend juan coronado who was the uh, head of cocktails at the time for the company he did an awesome bartending class for, for all the bartenders and I, I took the class with him and that class just like set it set me up set me up to be a good bartender (laughs) and after that moment i fell in love with cocktails and then i kept wanting to learn more experimenting with flavors taking my culinary background and applying it to drinks learning the recipes playing experimenting the history uh and also the best part about working with with people like that at thank food group is learning the style how to properly shake how to look good while doing it while smiling um and yeah so th- that that kind of set me off and since then i started learning more um i became the bar manager at, at marta in manhattan so it was my first management job in new york city there i also kept learning more and more um and then when i finally had my own restaurant that's where i really blossomed because i was able to then not have to answer to anyone. I could just do what I wanted mm-hmm. to do, make my own mistakes and learn from them. Uh, and then I created kind of my own style of bartending and drinks that I like. When did you think it was time to leave Marta and join your family? Um, there wasn't really any particular time. It was because my dad wanted to open up this restaurant and uh, he wanted to open up Usia. And he's like, who, who should I hire for general manager? And I was like, I think I'm ready now. <laughs> 
and it kind of came but, naturally but like that. Did he yeah. think you were ready now? Uh, honestly, I don't think I don't know. So we were originally. I'm like, I could work. I'll help open up this restaurant. How am I not going to be part of this new story? And we were talking about who's going to be general manager for a little bit, and then quickly it was like, it's going to be weird for me, the owner's son, to work underneath someone. Um, I don't know. It's going to be hard for that person to be good at their right. job. If I'm, you know, I'm the owner's son working for, so basically I just was like, let me try it. And he, he had confidence in me. <laughs> uh, and so how did it go at first? Was it everything it was, you thought it would be? Uh, at first it was very stressful, you know, hiring for, uh, uh, I mean, I've worked in restaurants, but I've never hired something from scratch and created systems from scratch. So it was very stressful, you know, picking every single detail is a lot. It's overwhelming. And then when we first opened, we were very slow. That was scary because then, like, you know, we hired all these people and you're like, oh, and now we have to let people go. And then, but then it quickly, like, started coming up. And, uh, oh, actually, no, slowly started coming back up. But, you know, we, I rode the waves. And I think the greatest thing about opening up a restaurant is you know where everything is because you just have to. Like, I know where the vents in the ceiling go. I know, <laughs> I know where the pipes in the floor go. I know, you know, ran, the most random things. And I think it's, it's made me a handyman. Well, did um, your did your dad have the concept of what he wanted the restaurant to be, or he just wanted to open a new restaurant? He wasn't sure yeah. you guys were together to do that. He had the concept already in mind. He wanted to kind of make a Greek American style restaurant, like a more casual Greek restaurant that was it could be a neighborhood spot, so not overly ethnic Greek. They still have some comfort foods that local people could kind of come to, make it an everyday spot. Um, plus, we were in a new neighborhood that doesn't have much, so we wanted to make it approachable. We wanted to make it a place where you know you could come every day for lunch and dinner and still have something new, and you know not be overly expensive. You know, be a comfortable price point where you know it, it's not necessarily a special occasion restaurant. It's a it's a yeah. So he had that concept, but I think together we fine tuned it um, and developed the menu and made some changes along the way. But a restaurant is always evolving. So even, you know, even today, you know, we've been closed for the last few months for the coronavirus. So now, you know, we get to keep reinvent the restaurant again. Of course. Now, yeah. you said you this was your chance to make the bar what you wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. So what what are, what were your ideas at first? So my ideas were to create a beverage program that had a lot of diversity, had a very large spirit selection, but then also had a focus on Greek ingredients and Greek Greek spirits and Greek flavor. So basically, we made a cocktail list that was riffs on classics that all incorporated Mediterranean flavors and as many Greek ingredients as we could, like with mastika or tsiporo, which is a Greek uzo, uh, a Greek start of, sorry, tsiporo, which is a, a Greek-style grape distillate, um, kind of like Greek grappa or Greek pisco. Uh, other Greek liqueurs like rakomelo, which is a honey cinnamon liqueur, and tentura, which is a clove spice liqueur. So as much as I could, I always wanted to incorporate Greek ingredients. Um, and then other other Greek ingredients like, you know, teas or herbs or, you know, Mediterranean fruits like pomegranate. So basically keep it fresh and approachable, but still have that Mediterranean Greek essence. That's what that's what Usia was is all about, is having Greek essence, but still like classic. Now you mentioned all those wonderful Greek spirits. Mm -hmm. When did you start learning about them or had they already always had you always been drinking them since you were little? 
Greek spirits. Uh, so the only spirit I really had as when I was little would be Uzo, because my grandpa loves little. to have Uzo. Sorry, I used that in uh, <laughs> when you were of drinking age, but uh, that you saw around the house. Well, yeah, my grandpa loves Uzo, and for okay. he, my grandpa comes from the island of Lesvos, which is where Uzo actually originates from, um, from the village of Plomari, which is near Molivos, where my grandfather's from. So Uzo was always like in the household. My grandpa would always have it in the summertime. So I always like had little sips just to taste it because I love the anise flavor. Um, but the other Greek spirits I didn't know so much about until you know we until the year we opened up Usia, I actually went to Greece on a wine trip, and I realized at that moment that spirits are a huge part of the culture in Greece, besides ouzo and especially tsipro. Um, you could go to uh, someone's house for dinner and they'll put a bottle of Tsipra on the table. It's almost like a welcoming gesture. Um, it's delicious and I love how it, it embodies the characteristics of the grape varieties there. Um, I also I was, I knew about Mastika, but I never had as much of an appreciation as I do for now. Um, you know, I always thought it was just an after-dinner drink, but now I'm using it in cocktails. So I, my idea was to take these things that I always would that I knew about but then to incorporate it in a way where, you know, maybe people who never had them before could try them in an interesting way. I know, you know, Mystica is getting so popular. Yeah. Um, I've been going because I'm with the Cypriot. Mm -hmm. I go, we go to Greece a lot as well. And um, Mystica is one of these things that once you try it, I think that you are just fall in love with it. Mm -hmm. I have never served it and had people not like it. Right. And it's this crazy flavor of like pine and whatever. But you're starting to see it in cocktails here as well. And this yeah, is, well, you know, London. What's, what's really unique about it for me is that there's no, no other ingredient in the world that has the flavor of mastica. It's, yeah. it's one of a kind. And because of that, it makes it so memorable because someone will taste it. If they never had it before, they they don't know what to compare it to. Like their their brain kind of it goes a little crazy. Yeah. Like, wait, what? And I, I always get these. I always like to ask people who've never had it before. Like, oh, what do you taste? What do you think it tastes like? And I always get a, a huge range of responses from, oh, it reminds me of pine. Reminds me of like tree bark. To it reminds me of freshly peeled carrots. Uh, that's that. That's I've actually gotten bubble gum. I've yeah, never heard carrots gum. before. Yeah. Carrots, I, I get carrot. Try it next time. Like, peel a carrot if you're making a carrot and then smell the mastica, and you, you'll be like, oh, yeah. I'm totally going to do that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I always keep a bottle of mastica in the freezer, too. That's my favorite way to serve it as a shot, like, really, really cold totally. after dinner. I once gave a, a table, like, a round of, of mastica as, like, a compliment, and then they just ended up buying a whole bottle and drinking it. They loved it so much. It is, it is fabulous. Yeah. And um, so you, you, you've created these cocktails. How did it go? Were people receptive to them? Oh, yeah. People love them. I mean, the, at, so my family's restaurants, the cocktail programs were never really a focal point. All the restaurants had amazing wine lists, and they still do have amazing wine lists. And I think the wine was always a focal point, especially for restaurants like Molivos and Oceana. And the, cocktail, the cocktails were good, but they were, there wasn't as much like cocktail focus. And I think I think when I opened up Usia, that was the first restaurant in my family's group where we realized, okay, we could get some attention for this. We could get recognition for it, and people come back for good drinks. Like if you if they know they could go to a bar and grab a good cocktail, they're going to come back again and again. And yeah, we have I mean we have cocktails on the menu that we've had since we've opened, and people come back just for those drinks. So, and then yeah, we got some good press about our drinks. Uh, I've been featured in a couple articles. Some of the recipes have been featured in things like Imbibe magazine. Um, so it definitely feels good to get recognition. I mean, especially when you're doing something that's kind of different. 
Absolutely. Now, we're talking about doing something different. <laughs> you created, I believe, the first Greek gym. Straight it's one of the gym. first. Yeah. One of so the first. One right. of the first. Yeah. I can't take credit for being the first, but yeah, one of the first Greek gins. Uh, so Stray Dog Wild Gin, we just launched this year. Uh, so I started working on it a couple of years ago, um, kind of as a side project because my love for spirits, especially Greek spirits, was so strong. Um, and I was on a trip to Greece and we were drinking tipuro. And I, we, I put some herbs in my glass because we were on a hike and I, I, I had some, there was some sage and rosemary. I just put it in my glass, not even thinking anything about it. And an hour later, I went back to sip that same cup and, I'm, and I'm, I had that, that light bulb went over off of my head. I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Wait a second. Like Greece has a huge distilling culture. There's hundreds of distilleries in Greece that mainly make ouzo and other liqueurs. The amount of herbs that are avail- easily available in Greece are abundant you know mm-hmm. even like teas like my they're everywhere and i like and w- i just thought like why is no one making gin um we have the such an amazing raw materials here like there's, there's got to be someone doing it so i did some research uh this was a few years ago i couldn't i only found maybe one gin it wasn't that well known it wasn't really being produced so i decided to make it my mission to try to make my own um so while back in new york you know i was talking to other distillers other gin makers and I received so much help along the way from people who are passionate about spirits and uh, were interested in my my journey. And I, then I, I kept going back to Greece. I interviewed dozens of distillers and I ended up finding one that shared the same vision as, as us. Uh, and we created our first batch of Stray Dog Gin um, in like about a year and a half ago. And then simultaneously working How did working you know? Like, what was your yeah. vision? What was your vision that, um, and, and, and how did you find that distiller? So my vision was to create a spirit that embodies the flavors of Greece, but in a way that is more modern. Um, like, you know, ouzo also embodies the flavors of Greece, right? Ouzo has all Greek herbs, you know, not just anise, there's also cinnamon and chamomile and other flavors that are very Greek. But a lot of people don't like ouzo because it's so strong and has anise. So I'm like, I want to create something that everyone could like. And gin is huge. Everyone loves gin. It's it's one of the fastest growing spirit categories right now. So I made a list of maybe 20 botanicals that I would use in my house or in my pantry. Um, Foscomilo, which is wild sage, it was, was for me the most important one. Uh, it's what my grandma makes for tea every single night, my yaya. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the smell of it. And I, I also, I don't know any other gin that has sage, especially Greek sage. So, okay, that's definitely it. Mastika, which we talked about, is such an important botanical to Greek flavor. I'm like, okay, we have to have that in there. Rosemary, anytime we have Easter, our lamb is marinated with rosemary. So I threw that in there. And then we, we kept experimenting with a bunch of other botanicals, and we picked ended up finalizing the list, which is one that we thought worked really well. Uh, so we have sage, foscomilo, rosemary, bay leaves, because um, bay leaves also are abundant. They grow everywhere in Greece uh, and used in a lot of different dishes. Fennel seed, um, because you can't make a Greek spear without fennel seed, right? That's one of the most important ones. Um, and then we also use uh, mastica, like I mentioned, cardamom and fresh lemon and orange uh, peel. Uh, now, there's one that's missing to me that is like and in everything. Juniper, yeah. No, 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 not the juniper. That's oh. so Greek, oregano. Re- yeah, oregano is very Greek. And I, that was on the list, but I we decided that 
it would have been too it would muddy the waters too much because already sage and rosemary have a lot of those herbal flavors mm -hmm. by throwing in oregano it, it, it could kind of it could change it changed it, it could a little be bit. all oregano yeah it's just too much oregano it <laughs> would have tasted too, too greek. much tasted too much like tomato sauce <laughs> yeah or a greek salad or something exactly yeah so we did we did try it with oregano now, and greek oregano is amazing but maybe we'll make another gin down the line with with oregano now did you have all of the this idea before you went to a distiller or did yes. you work it so, out with them no so we I worked actually with a distiller in New York who was so gracious to allow me to use his his test still, and we did some experimentations. And basically, I did we did micro distillations of each botanical on its own. So I made basically a distillate of only sage, a distillate of only rosemary, and all the botanicals. And then we like blended it in like little vials, like in little experiments to kind of see the flavors that we liked. And eventually, we found that the flavors we we enjoyed. We made a big list. And then I went. Then when I found the distiller that I want to work with, which is uh, Melissa Nidis Distillery, uh, we went to Greece. I told him the recipe I wanted, and um, the second time we went to Greece, he had the first batch ready, the test batch, and we tasted. We tasted basically five or six versions of the ingredients I he I, I wanted, and then we fine tuned it. We picked the one we liked the best. Uh, we made a couple adjustments, and then he made the second big batch, and that was it. And you've just launched it, really, right? Yeah, we just launched in the end of February here in New York. Um, we, so, yeah, we all launched in February in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Illinois. Uh, perfect timing, right before coronavirus shut down all the bars and restaurants. <laughs> but we're still but, talking uh, about it. Yeah. Uh, so, but at I least, know it's you know, tough. It's, it's, it was definitely – we had to change our strategy very early on. Um, but it's been okay. You know, we, we originally were planning on going to bars and restaurants, mainly Greek accounts to start and then work our way up. But since they were all closed, we had to pivot right away and to get into, into liquor stores. Um, so now we're in a lot more stores than we probably would have been. Um, focusing on our media presence, our online presence, social media, our website, making sure we have a great digital footprint so that you know, people are trying to find us who never heard about us before and don't have the ability to taste us in a bar or restaurant. We can at least get our story out there and invite them in that way. Mm -hmm. No, of course. Now, uh, are you, this is such a silly question, but I assume that you're taking some of the classic gin cocktails and making them stray dog cocktails, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, our, one of our favorite recipes we like to recommend to people is just the gin and tonic. Um, because the, the so one thing I didn't talk about about stray dog is we're using wild herbs. So that's kind of one of the reasons why we're calling it stray dog wild gin is because we use some wild botanicals that are foraged around the distillery in Greece. In a simple gin and tonic, when you add the tonic water, all those aromas of the, the of the herbs bloom and blossom. So in even the most simple cocktails, you get so much complexity. Also with a martini, you know, a martini is just two ingredients, gin and vermouth. And in, in, in the simple martini, you're getting this the Greek flavor bomb. That is what we wanted to go for. Um, so definitely recommending people to try it that way. But we have a lot of other cocktails that you can see on our website that we recommend you to try it in. It's really a diver versatile spirit. Even though it is unique and has a very strong flavor, it works with a lot of different types of cocktails. And I have to admit that um, I want to buy a billion bottles just because I see that you give to a stray dog charity. Yes. So yeah. I was so you know, say so. I assume that stray dog 
the name Stray Dogs? Yeah, well, if you've ever been to Greece, you know there's a lot of dogs in the communities there that kind of roam the streets. Um, and those the dogs kind of inspired me because, you know, they have this 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 uh, independence and, you know, they the people take care of them. Even though they're on the street, they're being cared for. People are leaving food out for the dogs. And I kind of love that about the Greek spirit where they, you know, even though they may have may have taken a lot of punches along the way, they're still going to stand up tall and stand up strong and keep fighting. Uh, and that's kind of what I want to kind of embody in this product. Um, but to address the the address the the problem there, where we are donating a portion of all our profits to uh, Save a Greek Stray, which is a uh, a shelter located in the southern part of Greece, and they work to kind of find homes for a lot of the Greek dogs, nurse them back to health, and they do a really great job there. So we're happy to be partners with them. Yeah, sounds great. Now, we skipped over a huge thing, which was you with your Italian mother. Uh-huh. Um, we're on a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes forget about that. It's such a that was such a blur, but it was Family an amazing Family food experience. fight and you came yeah. in third. Yeah, we came third place Family Food Fight, which was it was the first season on ABC. Um uh, they it was actually an Australian show originally. They did a couple seasons in Australia, but we were the the inaugural season in America. And uh, basically, it took eight families from all over the country, from different ethnic backgrounds with different culinary styles, and they put us head to head to create uh, wild dishes. And being on camera is one thing, but cooking on camera is a whole another experience. But actually, it was a lot of fun. I kind of when the pressure's on, I do really well. And we created some amazing dishes. Just when you know, once the spotlight turns on, we're out there. We're hit, we're going. <laughs> well, I have a question. Um, we've mm-hmm. talked all about the Greek side of your family. Does your mom ever say like, "Hey, over here, sono italiana"? You know, <laughs> I, I love Italy. It's you know part of my history. So does she ever say, "Wait a sec, we got to represent here at all"? My mom is very proud to be Italian, uh, and I don't think she gets misrepresented. Maybe you know, I, I have the we have the Greek restaurants, and I do the Greek gin. But you know, I lived in Italy for a little while. I speak more Italian than I do Greek, uh, so I think you know she gets her, she gets her love. Don't worry. <laughs> Maybe that's where you, there is a stray dog um, Negroni, right? Yeah, the stray dog Negroni. Exactly, that's an Italian cocktail. We have the Campari in there. Actually, I'm wearing a Negroni T-shirt right now. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> So, so, yeah, we need to be represented in some of those cocktails. Definitely. It was so great to have you on the show. This is so exciting for me. I can't. I'm so wait happy to, come, to be here. I can't wait to come back to New York to try one of your cocktails and one of your. We'll be around. You know, one of your restaurants, and you know, I really, really look forward to hearing what happens after this whole COVID thing happens. You know, and me um, too. And we hope to see Stray Dog in the UK soon. Any plans? Well, I'm working on it. Yeah, we just, you know, basically to get into the EU, we need different bottle sizes, and there's different regulations. So once we navigate through all of that, we'll we'll hope to be in the UK very soon. Well, I can't wait. And I'm sure you'll let me know when that happens. So, of course. You'll be the right. first one to get a bottle. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. It was so great to have Johnny on the show. Molovos was one of my haunts when I lived in New York. He had loads of tips for the home bartender today. And I discovered where he would love to drink right now. And it's not Greece. So do you have any tips for the home bartender that you could give, share with me? Yeah, I'd say one tip. I have a few tips. One tip I like to give is don't be afraid to make your own simple syrup. Um, Simple syrup is one of the easiest things to make. It's literally just sugar and water. 
And you can flavor it with a lot of different things. Like I love at the restaurants, I like to make cinnamon simple syrup where you basically you add one cup of water, one cup of sugar, throw in a piece of a cinnamon bark or maybe a teaspoon of, of cinnamon. Let the once the let it boil for maybe five minutes, and then you have an awesome cinnamon flavored syrup that you could add to your old fashions. You could add it to other different types of cocktails, um, and you could basically do that with any type of spice, like or even herbs. So like you could make I like making you know Earl Grey syrup. You could basically make tea, add a cup of sugar, and now you have an Earl Grey simple syrup. And as a home bartender who likes to experiment. Just making a simple syrup is a very inexpensive way, an easy way to just completely take your cocktails to that restaurant or bar quality. Also, at the restaurants, we like to do our own infusions. And infusing is also a very easy thing to do. So maybe to experiment with, again, a different herbs you have. And it works really well with any kind of alcohol. But I like to try it with vodka or gin. You know, take, a, take some tea or take um, a spice like cardamom. Let it sit for overnight and let it see how it tastes the next day. And then you can go and take your cocktails to the next level. And even if you're just doing classic cocktails, like if you like to make margaritas at home, if you have your own chili-infused tequila, that's the best way to make a delicious spicy margarita without having to muddle peppers. Um, or if you really like to make, you know, if you like to make gimlets, for example, you could take your either your tea-infused simple syrup or your gin-infused with an herb, and now you have a whole new cocktail uh, that is the restaurant bar quality. So I like to experiment with those two things. And then it's also good to invest in a nice quality shaker and a jigger. Um, always jigger, always measure your, your, your ingredients because that's the only way you're going to get it to taste exactly like the recipe's meant for. You know, cocktails is all about balance, balancing bitterness, sweetness, acidity, and alcohol. Uh, and unless you're measuring your ingredients, you're you're probably not going to be balanced. It takes a lot of practice to be able to eyeball things. Um, and even the most professional advanced bartenders can't do it that well. So, you know, just invest in a little jigger, cost you 10, 15 bucks, and you'll have perfectly measured drinks. That's great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So, if you could drink anywhere right now in the world, where would you go? This, to me, is like an easy question. I would be in Spain. Um, my wife is from Spain. She's from Barcelona. And while Italy and Greece have, and other parts of the world have great drinking cultures, the Spanish are the only people that do drinking with drama and theatrics. And it's the most fun place to drink. Uh, we were, we were actually, we did a trip in the northern part of Spain, um, in Asturias, which is all on the northern coast. And they make apple cider there that's so good. But they pour it, like, by... You can't see me if you're listening right now, but they, they have one hand all the way up, the hand with the cup all the way down, and they pour it with basically like three feet or a meter of distance just to try to catch in the cup to make the effervescence just that much better. To me, I, I love just the theatrics about it, or they'll have sherry and they'll dip a little wand into the barrel and they'll pour it from, again, up above their head, which is so fun. Um, they make gin and tonics with like thousands of botanicals and they serve them in these giant goblets. Like everything about Spanish drinking is about, uh, the theatrics of it. And it just makes it so much more fun. And they, you know, you don't, I feel like I never get drunk there because it's, you know, the drinks aren't even that strong. It's just fun. It's so much fun to drink in Spain. So, and who doesn't want to have fun? Spain. Right. Yeah, who doesn't want to have fun? Exactly. Such fun? People and everything is so fun there. <laughs> oh gosh. That's great. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. From northern Spain, let's head back to Greece for our Cocktail of the Week. 
Our cocktail of the week is the most modern summer Greek cocktail there is. The name kind of gives it away. The Aegean Gin and Tonic. Start by opening your new bottle of Stray Dog Wild Gin and then pour two ounces of Stray Dog into a glass filled with ice. Then twist open one eight ounce bottle of Greek owned three cents Aegean Tonic and top up your gin with it. Garnish with one sage leaf and orange slice, and then yell yamas. If you're confused by the US use of ounces and want to know how many milliliters to use, you can find a downloadable cocktail measurement converter on my website, alushlifemanual.com, where you'll find this recipe, more gin and tonic recipes, plus all the cocktails of the week, as well as links to all of the ingredients. So, bars and restaurants are finally open in London. But who really wants to go on the tube or bus to get to one? Thank goodness for Le Petit Sud, which just opened on my street, and owned by one of the great bartenders in town. You'll know where to find me. If you live for Lush Life, make sure you're giving back to the bars you love by donating or taking part in cocktail delivery where you live. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leads me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly and wash your hands and stay safe. Next time, we're in Athens with one of the most famous bartenders in the world and owner of The Clumsies, one of my favorite bars anywhere. Until that time, bottoms up. Bottoms up.